Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, it's been an exciting month as a church. We, we've had our missions emphasis week. We've been talking about the task that is unfinished over the last two Sundays. Uh, just in the last couple of days, there was a women's retreat here at, at Wildwood right here in this room. A number of exciting things are happening. Um, but today, we're going to be returning to a sermon series that we began at the beginning of the year called The Wise of Worship. As we've been talking through why it is we do what we do when we gather on Sunday mornings as a church family. We've talked about why do we gather at all? Why do we sing? Why is baptism and communion a part of our times of worship? So far in the month of January, that's what we saw. Well, beginning today and going the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking now about why do we pray? That's our subject of conversation this morning. Next week, we'll talk about why do we have a sermon? And then we'll talk about why we take up an offering uh, in the next three Sundays. And so excited that you're here as we're on this, this journey together. Today, as I mentioned, we are going to be talking about why do we pray? Why do we pray? Now, when I talk about the, 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 the subject of prayer, I just want to run a, a survey among us, okay? So um, I'm, I'm going to need some participation. How many of you are absolutely positively satisfied with your prayer life? You're like, I pray enough. I Okay, now, now how many of you would like to grow in your prayer life in some capacity? Okay, wow. So there's a lot of us in this room that would love to, to know more about the topic of prayer. We would love to have deeper times of fellowship with God in prayer. And you know what? That's not something that is unique to us. It actually has been a part of the followers of Jesus from the very beginning, because Jesus had his 12 that went on this three-year trip with him. They were traveling all around. And you know what they saw Jesus do? They saw Jesus very often pray. Jesus was praying in certain places. Often he would, he would step a little bit beyond their presence and he would devote some time in prayer. Jesus' disciples saw Jesus doing this. And so they, they came to him one day and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. You obviously know something about this. Could you share with us the, the, the what's, what are we to pray for? The how's, how are we to pray? And Jesus was so gracious to answer their questions. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to see how Jesus answered this question. Teach us to pray. What did Jesus teach us about prayer? We're going to see that this morning. But before we get there, I, I want to just kind of set the table for what we're going to see in the words of Jesus as he teaches us the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And as we prepare for that, I want to just, just think about an experience that many of us have had, and that is being near a dance floor. Now, I say being near a dance floor because there are more of us who get near a dance floor than get on the dance floor right? Because we, we go to a wedding, we go to a party, we go to a celebration, and there's a dance floor. And there are some who are confident, who know what they're doing, who get out on the dance floor. But there are many more of us who sit at a distance and just wonder, will we ever get out there? And you know what happens? The DJ knows that we're, we're hanging out on the perimeter. And so what does he do? He begins to play 
line dances. And that draws more of us out onto the dance floor. He plays a song like YMCA. And that gets us dancing. Why? Because even your grandma knows how to spell letters with her arms. So at least in the chorus, she knows what to do. Or, or, you know, if that doesn't work, eventually they start playing a song that is so basic, to the right, to the right, to the right, to the right, to the left, to the left, to the left, to the left. I mean, it's so simple, so straightforward. It draws us into the action because at least in those moments, we know what we are supposed to be doing. Well, I I tell you that today because when it comes to the topic of prayer, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, help us know how to pray. And how does Jesus respond? He doesn't give them words to mindlessly ramble on or, 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 or say. Instead, he teaches them a pattern. He teaches them the things that they are to pray about so that they will know at least some of the times what it is that they are to be praying to God and what it actually looks like so that not just a few, but all would get on the dance floor of prayer. That was rough to say. Um, But we're going to see that today as we talk about the issue of prayer. And we're going to see it by looking at the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. I want to read these verses for us as Jesus is teaching us about prayer, and then we'll back up and make a couple observations today, not only about what we are to pray, but how we are to pray. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, Jesus says this. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Jesus is teaching a a pattern of prayer to his followers. And it's been preserved in scripture so that you and I might see it today. What I want us to do is I want us to look at it to see two things. The first thing I want us to see is this. I want us to see what we are to pray. What are we to pray about? We see this by looking at this model prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples. Now, we're, we do well to understand that this prayer that Jesus was teaching is a prayer that had two parts, two sections to this prayer. And each of those sections included three different asks of God. The first part of this prayer was an ask of God, three asks of God for his adoration. They were, they were God-focused. God, may, may your renown be celebrated. May who you are be honored in some way. There were first three requests of the Lord's Prayer are focused in that direction. And then the next three requests of the Lord's Prayer are for God's action. Action on our behalf in our lives. God, may, may you do something in our, in our midst. So two parts of this prayer, each with three asks. The first three asks about God being adored. The next three asks about God to act. Now, before we get to those two sections, it's helpful to see how the prayer begins. The prayer begins by focusing on who God is, who God is. Jesus says, pray then like this, and let's say this together, friends. Can you say this with me? Our Father in heaven. At the very beginning of the prayer, there is a clear connection 
The, the digits have been punched, the, the dialing has gone in, and there's a focus on the one that we are communicating with. And the conversation is with our Father who is in heaven. Now, this statement helps focus our attention on the character of God. Now, for some of us, when I say our Father, that, that makes you cringe a little bit. And it makes you cringe because your earthly father maybe was absent or abusive. And so when you see God being referred to as a father, it makes you wince, even at a level deeper than you know how to articulate. For others of us, when we see the word father, that that causes us to to lean in because we've had a good relationship with our earthly father. I I would put myself in that category, somebody that leans into this this title of father because of the relationship that I've had with my dad. It's been a blessing. But you know, when we think of the statement of our, he- our father who is in heaven, Jesus was, was actually offering encouragement regardless of our earthly experience. What Jesus was saying was whether your father was good or bad is irrelevant to the fact that when we are talking to God, we are talking to someone who is the perfect father. Our heavenly father is better than any earthly father. It's an upgrade for all of us. He is always available. He is always listening. He is not distracted. He is loving and compassionate and merciful and gracious and wise. So when we go to prayer, we are talking to the God of the universe, our Father who is in heaven, who has a relationship, a familial relationship with us. Because we are in Christ, we can go to God and he will hear our prayers. Amen? And the God that we are talking to is our Father who is in heaven. So it begins with a reminder of who God really is. Then he begins to make some requests. Remember the first part of this prayer were, were asks for God's adoration, for God's renown, for his celebration upon the earth. The first of those requests, the first of those asks is asking that the reputation of God would be honored on the earth, that the reputation of God would be honored upon the earth. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, he's not saying here that we are to make God's name holy. God is holy in his very essence. What he's saying here is, God, may your holiness, may your awesomeness be recognized and honored among all. God desires for all the peoples of the earth to recognize him for who he is, the creator God, who is is loving and kind and merciful and gracious and just and holy. God, may your reputation be known and honored by all. That's how we begin our prayer. How do we do that practically? Well, that we might spend time at the beginning of our prayers just reflecting on any of the attributes or character qualities of God. God, you are our heavenly Father, and you are holy. You are loving. You are forgiving. You are merciful. You are wise. Whatever we're going to be praying about. We just remember who he is and we honor his name and we ask that those attributes of God's name might be known upon this earth. Hallowed be your name. But he continues praying and he asks for the kingdom of God. He makes an ask for the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. 
Now, what is he referring to? What is Jesus asking us to pray about when he asks us to pray for his kingdom to come? Well, friends, I believe Jesus is inviting us to to experience a longing for the time when he will come and establish his kingdom upon the earth at his second coming. We live our lives today in a world that is full of a lot of problems, problems that one day will be solved when Christ returns. And so the difficulties of the world that we are experiencing ought to well up within us this longing for, for Christ to return and to make things right. So we spend time in prayer, not just asking for God's reputation to be great upon the earth, but ultimately for God's presence to come to the earth and for his kingdom to be established. So we pray for God's reputation and we pray for God's kingdom. You know, we, there, we have a lot of material, a lot of ammunition in our lives of brokenness and pain and problems. We collect it all day through news media, through things that we see on social media and the internet. When we collect these things, may we take them to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, we live in a world that is like this, like shootings in the streets of Kansas City, like all of these problems that are going on. We, we live in a world that has problems, but Lord, we are longing for the day when your kingdom will come. We're praying for the adoration of God in this direction. But not only that, we're also praying for the will of God to be done. The will of God to be done by who? by people. And that begins with the followers of Jesus. When we pray asking for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, may may who you are show up in the way that we live. God, may, may the way that we live out our lives be so faithful to your calling, to your word, that my neighbors, that, that the people I work with, that my family might know something about who you are by looking at me and my life. Because I want to be living out your will upon the earth and collectively that the followers of Jesus might be living out our lives faithful to the calling of Christ, that the world might know who our God really is and what he's like. Jesus teaches us to pray and he he begins this time of prayer by asking us to remember who we're praying to and then calling on us to, to ask for God's reputation and his kingdom and his will to be seen, experienced, and known upon the earth. That his name might be honored among all. It is a Godward focused beginning to prayer. Do we begin our prayers that way? When you bow your head before God to pray, Do you spend some time revering his name, praising him for his his character qualities, for who he really is, and, and asking for his reputation and his presence to be known upon the earth? Jesus teaches us to pray that way. But after giving us three asks to pray for God's adoration, Jesus continues now and gives us three asks for God to act on our behalf. So what does he ask us to ask God to to provide for us? Well, the first thing is he asks us to ask God to provide for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I want to just pause for a second and, and just think about how wonderful it is that when Jesus is asked to teach us about prayer, one of the things he mentions is telling God the things that we need. Because honestly, we're pretty good at this part of prayer, aren't we? There's a lot of things that we 
are, are stressed about. There are a lot of things we want to see happen. And, and we don't go to God and, and have to twist his arm to hear our requests. He's our heavenly father who loves us, whose ears are attentive to our prayers. And he has invited us to go to him daily and ask for our needs. The statement of daily bread is, is not so much asking only for bread, but it's a symbol and a reminder of the things that we need for every day. Really, it harkens back to the time of the Exodus when the children of Israel were led through the Red Sea and they were wandering in the wilderness. And God provided for them in that very barren landscape with food for every day, manna that he provided every morning. God only provided enough manna for that day for his people. Why? Because the next day he was going to give them more. By asking us to pray for our daily bread, it is asking us to pray on a daily basis to bring our needs for today before the Lord and ask him to provide. This certainly includes physical provision, but it also includes things like praying for our health needs. And it also includes things like praying for ministry needs. You know, I can promise you, as I, before I coming up to, to speak this morning in front of you all, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for some daily bread and not just a sandwich. I'm praying that God would give me the strength and the words and the direction to be able to deliver this message. And you're going to pray a prayer very similarly if you step in to teach a Sunday school class today, or you've got a difficult conversation with a family member later today, or whatever your daily needs might be. The God of the universe invites us to come to him on a daily, regular basis and ask for the things that we need. Isn't that a wonderful picture of, of our Heavenly Father? We get to go to him and make these requests. Give us this day our daily bread, our daily needs. Then he continues and he says also that we are to pray and ask him for our relational forgiveness. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, let's think about this for a moment. Why would Jesus ask us to ask for forgiveness? I mean, Jesus died on the cross paying the penalty for all of our sins. And if we have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, we are forgiven. Positionally, we are in the family of God, connected to him forever and ever. So if that's the case, why in this daily prayer, in this regular rhythm of going before the Lord, why would we continue to ask for forgiveness? Well, I think the answer is somewhat obvious. First of all, it's because we continue to sin, right? I mean, let's just be, let's be real about it. Because we continue to sin, we go before the Lord consistently and ask for his forgiveness. But I think it goes to a little deeper level. It points to the relationship that we have with God. You know, when my son does something wrong, when, when he sins against our family in some way, and he's a great kid, so this is not, you know, I, I'm always reluctant to share illustrations about my family because my family is here and they're real. I love my son. He's a wonderful son. He's not perfect, but he's a wonderful human being. Um, I love him. But you know what? He, he does some things sometimes to get, in, get him in a little bit of trouble. But when that happens, it doesn't kick him out of the family. I don't say, okay, you're done. You're done. No, he's still a part of the family, but there's some relational rub that is happening because we've not dealt with each other in an honorable way. 
And honestly, the same thing could be said for me. There are times that I don't behave the way that I should behave inside of my family. And so I have to ask for forgiveness. Why do we ask for forgiveness in those moments? Not to create the relationship, but because the relationship exists. And so we who are connected to the God of the universe forever and ever go before him and ask for his forgiveness because we sin, not to, not to recreate the relationship, but to restore fellowship at some level. And so Jesus invites us to go before God regularly and ask him to forgive us our sins. And then as we ask him to forgive us our sins, what does he say immediately after that? As we also have forgiven those who have sinned against us. It's a reminder because we have been forgiven much that we might be forgiving to others. This is the things that we are to to pray about, our daily needs and our relational forgiveness. Now, for those of us who have been around and followed Christ for a long time, these are the things that we pray about. These are things that we most often pray about. When we bow our head to prayer, we, we, we are most readily going to talk about the things that we need or the sin that we need to confess. But when it comes to these asks, Jesus adds a third one that we fail to pray many times. And what is that third request? Well, it's an ask for our protection from the enemy. Jesus concludes the prayer this way, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Another translation of that phrase would be to say, but to deliver us from the evil one. Jesus wanted all of us to know and understand that there's a real enemy who wants to deceive, devour, and destroy the followers of God. And that is Satan himself. Jesus wants us, as we bow our heads in prayer, to regularly ask for God's protection, to not lead us into temptation, but to provide the way out to give us the strength to resist and the discernment to know right from wrong, good from bad, good from evil. We're to pray those things. Now, this is one that we forget about because we minimize the nature of the spiritual life around us. We, we minimize the, the, the spiritual battle of, of dark and demonic places. And yet, is a real struggle, the Apostle Paul would tell us in places like Ephesians chapter 6. So as we pray, Jesus reminds us not only to pray for our needs and not only to pray for forgiveness, but also to pray for protection from the enemy as we follow Christ. These are are some of the, the requests that Jesus provides to help us know how to move to the right, to the right, to the right, and to the left, to the left, to the left. These are the things that we are to pray about. Now, in summary, what do we learn about prayer from this prayer that Jesus taught? First thing, we learn to remember who we're talking to, to center our attention on the God of the universe who loves us and who cares for us. We remember him and we call him our heavenly father. Second thing, we also remember to pray for different things. We remember to pray adoring God, remembering and asking for his reputation and kingdom and will to be known and lived out upon the earth and asking him also for our needs, our forgiveness, and our protection. If you want to know where to begin in prayer, Jesus says, pray about these things. Now, 
we've seen what to pray from the Lord's Prayer. And believe me, we could spend many more minutes looking at the Lord's Prayer. But for the sake of this message today, I wanted to just cover a little bit of the what of prayer through Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer, and then spend a little bit of time surveying the rest of the New Testament to see what it has to tell us about how we are to pray, how we are to pray. So let's, let's survey the New Testament and see a number of different things about prayer. The first thing I want us to see about prayer is the posture of prayer. What is our posture supposed to be as we pray? Well, we see a a couple of different postures of prayer in the New Testament. The first we see in Matthew 26, verse 39, when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that Jesus fell on his face and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prays, bowing low before his heavenly Father. Now, why did he do that? And what was Jesus communicating as he was bowing low? He was communicating a posture of submission. And it's echoed in his words. Not my will, but yours be done. A posture of prayer that is on our knees or is bowed low is saying, God, you are great. You are far greater than me. So I bow low before you and lay my life and my agenda and everything down that your will, your ways would be honored. The posture of kneeling. But it's not the only posture that we see in the New Testament. Another posture that we see in the New Testament is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. When the Apostle Paul is here teaching and he says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, here we are to, to pray with our hands lifted up. Now, what does this posture indicate to God? If, if kneeling indip- indicates submission, what does raising our hands indicate? We might think praise or honoring God in some way. Let's think about this in another example. What does this look like on the football field? I'm I'm open. I'm open. You know, if I'm going to do this before Patrick Mahomes, I'm saying, throw me the ball. I want to catch it. And when we raise our hands before God, part of what we are indicating and communicating is, God, whatever you have for me, I'm, I'm here for it. God, I'm open before you. You're, you're to be honored in my life. I know that. But whatever you have for me, I'm, I'm here to receive it. So we have these two different postures. One bowed low, one with hands up. So we might ask, well, which one is it? Well, friends, I don't think that the most important part of either of these postures is the physical posture. I think these are heart attitudes that sometimes show up in our physical presence of prayer. It's not that we have to tune our bodies just right for God to hear us or to listen to us. You know, if you ever have had a television with rabbit ears or an antenna, you know that sometimes you have to twist the antenna just right in order to pick up the station you're trying to receive. When it's talked about kneeling or lifting up our holy hands, it's not that that, 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 that we are trying to get our body in a position so that God can connect with our antenna. Instead, what these postures indicate is a heart attitude before God. God, I'm bowing low before you, and God, I'm open to whatever you have. May those two attitudes permeate 
our time of prayer. May they be the posture of our prayer. And sometimes we will get in those positions because it helps us connect our, our actions with our soul direction. The posture of prayer. Second thing, the conversation of prayer. Remember when we pray that we are actually conversing with the God of the universe. What an amazing truth that is, isn't it? That we're actually talking to God. Jesus criticized two different types of prayers that were common in the first century. The first was that of the Pharisees. He calls them here hypocrites who stood on the streets and they prayed in the synagogues and the street corners that they might be seen by others. What Jesus was saying was they forgot that they were actually talking to God. They thought they were just talking to other people so that they might gain a following, so that they might gain some respect. Jesus said, when we're really praying, we're praying and talking to God. Remember that. There's a conversation with him. And then he goes on to say that also the Gentiles in the first century had this habit of just babbling on different words, repeating mindlessly different phrases. And Jesus says, remember, you're talking to an intelligent God here. It's not just about mumbling words or phrases or or some kind of nonsense talk, but we're talking to an intelligent God so we can open our mouths and we can communicate with him. It's the conversation of prayer. Third thing we remember, the frequency of prayer. How often should we pray? Should we pray for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15? Should we pray for an hour? Should we pray for an hour a day? I mean, how much time should we spend in prayer? Well, the apostle Paul lets all of us know that our prayer lives should be lives that are praying without ceasing without ceasing. Now, what in the world is he talking about? This is in the midst of a long list of other things that we are called to do. How can we pray all the time and do the other things that God has called us to do? Well, I think the idea here is that praying without ceasing is, is praying kind of in an ongoing, running conversation with God. The, the phrasing in the original language is also used in other places of a hacking cough just something that won't go away. That, that our prayer with God would be repetitive and ongoing. That, that we wouldn't just pray in our closet at home, you know, once a day for however many minutes, but that we would also pray as we have opportunity in the car driving from place to place. That we also would pray uh, as we wait for our appointment to arrive. That we also would pray before we go to bed at night. We'd pray before a meal. We'd have this ongoing, all the time, running conversation with God. This is the, the kind of prayer. And, you know, I, I, I say that because we, we're used to an ongoing, all the time conversation, aren't we? It's the relationship we have with our phones. How many times do you touch it? How many times do you look at it? If people don't come to, the, to your meeting at just the right time, what do you do? You immediately pull out your phone and begin to... I say this not to accuse anyone. I'm talking about my own life. I know this well. We're so used to having this ongoing, continuous relationship with our device. God has offered us something far better, that we might have an ongoing, continuous conversation with him. This week, try some of those times that you're going to reach and grab for your device. Instead, just just to take a moment, just to have an ongoing conversation with God about whatever is happening in that moment. The frequency of prayer, pray without ceasing. Next, the potency of prayer. How powerful is prayer? Prayer is very powerful. 
James chapter 5 says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And, and what is the evidence that James gives? He talks about prayers that were able to cause rain to replace a drought, sin to be forgiven, and illness to be healed. So we're talking about significant answers to prayer. Friends, we should never shy away from praying about something because we think it is too big for God to do something about it. As a matter of fact, the bigger the issue, the more intractable the issue, the more easily we should bring it to the Lord in prayer. Because if, when we realize that we can't do anything about it, well, hey, we know the one who can. Prayer is powerful. Let's bring the challenges of our lives to him. Next, the nature of prayer, the nature of prayer. What is, what is prayer all about? Well, by God's grace, prayer allows us to participate in the mission of what God is doing in the world. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians 3 when he says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Paul was saying that the church in Thessalonica could be a part of the spread of the gospel around the world through prayer. You know, last week we saw of the tremendous need of the gospel to go forth in India and in parts of the 1040 window in different places around the world. And we know other places, even in our own city, that are, that are dark corners where the light of Christ needs to shine. One of the ways we can participate in that is by going before the Lord and praying for him to work. John Piper makes this statement about prayer. He says, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom for ringing up the butler to change the thermostat. It's a wartime walkie-talkie to call in firepower because the enemy is greater than we are. Greater than we are, but not greater than Christ himself. So we have the privilege of talking to the one who is able to do what we cannot and to spread the gospel around the world. The nature of prayer. And lastly, the multiplier of prayer. Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. There is something wonderful and beautiful about God's people gathering to pray together. We pray on Sunday morning. There may be only one person on a microphone, but friends, we all have the ability to join our hearts in prayer together because when we are praying along together, there is something magical that happens. Christ is presence, present in our midst and he delights to answer the prayers of his people. So we have the privilege of praying together. You know, in, in John chapter four, Jesus has an interaction with a woman at the well. And in that interaction, the woman asks Jesus this question. She says, is, is it you know, on this mountain in Samaria or is it down in Jerusalem on that mountain where we should gather to pray? In other words, is there a physical location that will multiply our prayers, that will multiply our worship, that will put us in direct communication with God? And how did Jesus answer her? He said, it's not on this mountain or on that mountain. It's not about the place anymore. But he says, those who worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. So when God's people gather in spirit and in truth together, there is a multiplying effect no matter where we are. Whether we're praying together in our living room or in our small group or in a classroom downstairs or in this room 
or we're gathered at, at a workplace Bible study or we just stop to pray with a brother or sister in Christ in the Walmart parking lot. Friends, there is a multiplying effect when we pray together for God to work. So, the Lord's Prayer. He's taught us to pray. So, I, I want us to, to actually pray. Not just to talk about this, but I want us to actually pray. And so, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to, 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 to bow your heads. And as you bow your heads, I'm going to walk through the Lord's Prayer a, a line at a time. And I'm going to give you just a minute or two, really just a few seconds in each time, just to be able to pray along the pattern that Jesus has established for us. And then we'll respond in song together after that. So let's pray. Let's begin by just stating to God one of his character qualities, just honoring his name, thanking him for who he is. Hallowed be his name. And then let's take a moment in the face of all the pain and the difficulty of this life, may we ask for his kingdom to come upon the earth. We long for his return. Communicate that to the Lord. Now take a moment and pray, thinking about an area of of your life where you are tempted to wander into disobedience. Think about how living in obedience to God and in that way might reveal something of his character to this earth. Pray for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Now think of one need that you have today. Just, just one, that's what we have time for. One need that you have today and ask for the Lord to graciously provide your need today, giving us this day our daily bread. Now take a moment and confess any sin from today, from this week, recently. Just confess your sin to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you. to ask for his forgiveness of you to flow through and how you respond and interact with others. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching us to pray. And we pray now that you would help us to, to live our lives in a ongoing, steady conversation with you all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.